Hello, my name is Tyler, and I'll be having a conversation with Moira and Nicole for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is April 15th, and this is being recorded at Moira and Nicole's home in Westchester. All right, so... Moira, why don't you start by telling me a little bit about your childhood? Sure. Um, so I had a, I grew up in Rochelle. It was just a, it was the working class area of it. I, 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 I didn't have a particularly exciting childhood. There was no, there wasn't, I was never the, the kid that was some, I was never some prodigy child that was destined to do great things. Um, for I, I am fortunate though that my 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 mother wasn't one of those people who rigidly like pushed um, like gender norms and stereotypes on me. Um, she wasn't unfortunately as good at being supportive of me when I later did come out, but. Yeah, um, I, I guess I'm kind of like dancing around, but anyway, so my, my childhood was pretty boring. I didn't have a lot of friends until much later when I got into high school. Uh, and even then, I didn't have a lot of friends. And everyone that I knew back then, I don't really talk to or see now. And and, and honestly, I, I can't really mem remember a lot of my childhood and maybe that's just because some of it was so empty like looking back it just feels like my childhood was this kind of empty void and just it completely unrelated I guess I don't know if it's unrelated to the part about me being trans but yeah that's basically my childhood so, Nicole, mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit about your childhood? Yeah, uh, my childhood was interesting. Um, had, there's some similarities, you know, with the fact that oh, I, I didn't, I struggled to make friends when I was a kid. Um, but it was in part also because my uh, my parents' uh, careers, like my dad was uh, working uh, for the government in a capacity that caused our family to have to move every couple of years from place to place. So I ended up uh, moving every uh, every two to three years for most of my childhood up until high school. And that made, you know, have, creating any lasting friendships very difficult. And the ones that I did create, they tended to be with uh, people who were already kind of, uh, kind of outcast socially. Um, and so I, I kind of, you know, as far as your friendships, it wasn't really going anywhere. But um, I did form very strong relationships with my siblings at home, uh, especially with uh, with my two brothers, uh, because we were always um, we were always going out uh, outside and looking at you know looking at nature 
and insects catch catch bugs all the time every place that we went to and it was always it was always a really great time to have with them and uh so that's kind of what kept me uh what kept me a pretty well-adjusted kid uh when i was younger and made all the moving much more tolerable Nicole mentioned her siblings. Um, do you have any siblings, Moira? <laughs> That's... Uh, yes, but... So my, so my mom, my mother had only ever been married once to my dad. Um, she's the, he's the only person that she had ever had kids with. I'm the, only ch- I'm the only child that she has had, and the only child that the two of them had together. My dad, on the other hand, um, I, I know I know of two sisters that I have, uh, half-sisters, uh, that, <clears throat> last I remember, they live up in Maine, and they have, I was told this, when I, this is everything I was told when I was 10 years old, I was told that they have, uh, between the two of them, seven kids, and I have never met any of them. A few years ago, when I was talking to an uncle of mine, uh, my father's brother, he told me that, yeah, my dad had, like, a bunch of other kids, like, across the country, apparently. And a few, and maybe about a year after I had that conversation with him, I happened to be on Facebook, and I stumbled across someone else's profile, and they looked like the spitting image of my dad if he were maybe, if he were still alive and maybe 30 years younger. And had the last name Arrington. I messaged him, never replied. So I, yeah. So it's I, I assume that I have more family that's out there. Um, on my dad's side, I they're a mystery to me. Family's always been kind of a difficult like thing for me. I, I don't I don't know a lot of my family, but it's whatever. Is that true of your extended family? The the only family that I really grew up with was my <clears throat> my dad's siblings, my mother's siblings, my mother's siblings, except for one of them. Um, they ha- they all had each one kid, so it was my mother's sister and one of her brothers that uh, each had one kid. So, and that's it. Like, all those people, those are really the only people that I grew up with. Oh, and, and my, my grandma. But before I was born, my, my dad's parents had both passed away. My grand, my mother's father, my grandpa, passed away when I was two years old. So I only really grew up with my, my mom's mom, my grandma. So they, uh, that small collection of people, that, that was really it for me. And... Kind of okay with it. Like I, I could try to. I have. I've been to like other family functions. I've met other relatives, and I kind of remember their names. I remember some faces, but they're really just related strangers at this point. And what was your relationship like with the family that you did grow up with? It was good. Um, my, my uncle, a lot of my aunt and uncle from my dad's side, they've. Um, passed away. I do still have one uncle who's survived. 
Um, it's I have a kind of tenuous relationship with him because he's kind of old-fashioned is a I guess a nice way of putting it. Um, I know that he has some I, I guess I'll just call it casually racist views that I, it, it seems like he's trying to be better about um, ha trying to change his mind a little bit or at least not not share any problematic views but I, it's it's not it's not a close relationship I don't I haven't spoken to him in probably I don't know, two months so who was the person in your family that you would look up to for guidance oh my aunt Fran my aunt Fran my mother's sister yeah she was the uh, third person that I came out to as trans and she was actually the person who like after like I we were out having dinner I came out to her and we were in the village and I I told I told her and she took me to the center and I started doing counseling there the center referred me to Callum Lord and I I don't know how much longer it would have taken me to find Callum Lord and the center on my own um I, I didn't have internet internet access at my at home. I was relying on the library at that time. I was like, nine. It was twenty years old at the time, and I mean, basically, like my my aunt kind of helped save my life at that point. What year was this? Oh, that would have been two thousand six. No, 2005. Oh. It would have been, yeah, 2000, 2005. Yeah. So, okay, I told, like, I told my, I told her that I was, like, questioning, I'd been questioning for a while, wasn't sure. I told her, and she said, why don't you go here and yeah so we like walk we walk from the east to the west side she showed me the center it's like yeah just go here and it's like oh okay we walked in i got some information came back and started counseling <clears throat> and yeah and the rest was pretty much history i i was i was doing like weekly counseling sessions the the people at counselor were kind of surprised with how quickly I was getting through my counseling because like I might I, cause I by then like I I knew that this was right I knew this needed to happen I knew that I needed to not look like some dude for the rest of my life it needed to happen yesteryear so yeah so Nicole who <laughs> did you look up to for guidance uh for me uh I really looked up to uh, my dad and my my older brothers, uh, especially my older brother Chris, who was really kind of instrumental in kind of teaching me how to navigate school because he was he was usually in the same school as I was, just a couple of years ahead of me. So he could, you know, he was often a voice of of you know wisdom for how to relate to other kids. And my dad always had a 
he was always very down to earth and always very encouraging and you know, expressed a lot of pride uh, in us. <clears throat> and he was always uh, he was always interested in doing um, you know doing projects uh, around the house and you know getting us to help out, which always gave us uh, you know, a lot of great things to do and, and a sense of accomplishment when we completed some uh, some project and made, you know created something uh, either in the house or in the yard that was wasn't there before and it was uh, yeah I would, I would say you know they were uh, they were my most uh, my biggest influences as I was growing up and what was your relationship with your mom was she my mom was it was always it was always a little bit uh, uh, a little bit dicey like a Whenever, whenever my mom was around, it felt like uh, we were always walking on eggshells, and this is like before I ever, you know, transitioned or anything like that. And it was just because uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of tension because of uh, things that were things that were unsaid that I wasn't as a kid. I didn't know anything about. So, and a lot of that I still don't know anything about. You know, just conflicts with my mom and her family and conflicts between, you know, her and my dad that we weren't privy to, but which would flare up now and again. And oftentimes it felt like, you know, you know, we, you know, we, the children were kind of, uh, kind of scapegoated in a way in terms of like verbal abuse, <laughs> you know, just that, uh, it just felt to me that she wanted something different for herself than to live as kind of a uh you know a housewife taking care of five kids and kind of being overwhelmed by all of that when she wanted to do something and be more independent uh, but i haven't haven't gone through it all in depth with her because it's just very difficult <clears throat> Could you tell me a little bit about your other siblings? Um, my other siblings, um, I have. Uh, so I thought, yeah, I told you about Chris, my my little brother. that's just two two years older than me. Then I have another brother, David, who's the oldest, who's um, like three and a half, four years older than me. Then I have uh, two younger siblings, um, you know, uh, Ivan and Erica, and uh, you know, I. Uh, Erica was, Erica's the sibling that's uh, just younger than me, and Ivan is the youngest, and uh, when Erica was born, we were actually living in Puerto Rico, so she's the, you know, the only one of us that was, you know, born in, uh, you know, born in Puerto Rico, and that's, all the rest of us were born in the States, and, uh, you know, most of us born in El Paso, so... Uh, but yeah, I have great relationships with with all of my siblings. Um, with my sister, it was growing up, she was kind of uh, not really included in a lot of you know uh, a lot of games that we played, a lot of the um, adventures that we had, uh, just because she was uh, just related to us a lot differently as the only uh, female sibling at the time in the family. Um, and it just, I think she felt it just very excluded most of the time. It was very difficult, uh, for, 
you know, for us to kind of meet halfway because we were all, you know, <laughs> as all the other siblings, kind of, you know, seeing her as kind of the the only one who's different, and it was, yeah, it, it was not very good, especially since my parents treated her differently as a girl <laughs> because it was a lot of very traditional Catholic upbringing, and so it was. Yeah, it was kind of difficult, but now, uh, now we have a we've but much better relationship. Um, you know, she's, uh, you know, she's independent of my parents, and, uh, you know, we're, yeah, we get along great. So, <clears throat> you mentioned um, mm -hmm. that one of your siblings was born in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell me a little bit about being Puerto Rican in the States? Uh, I can't speak to her experience directly, but it's, um, you know, I, at the time when I, when we were living there, I was barely, uh, I think barely two years old. So I don't have much memory. Um, other than we had a next door neighbor that had a pet iguana that we hung out with a lot. Um, and, uh, but yeah, as, as, uh, and she was, yeah, even younger than me. So, uh, we lived in Puerto Rico only briefly before we left, uh, to Florida. And so we're not really connected with you know, Puerto Rican culture, but it is a place that we did live, uh, for some amount of time. And it, yeah, when we, when we heard about the, you know, the hurricane and the ongoing disaster that's going on, it kind of, you know. It made us feel like, like one of the places that we lived was no longer like, it was no longer a home. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad. Do you want to pause for a little bit? Maybe take a break. Um, sure, sure. So, Nicole, you mentioned that... Let's start over again. Okay, it's fine. This is going to be edited. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nicole, you mentioned feeling... Um, having some relation to Puerto Rico and... Um, feeling of, like it was part of your home. Yeah, I, f I felt like it was, it's one of our homes. Each each of the places that we went to and lived in left an impression on, on like, our family. And, like, Puerto Rico, I don't have many memories of it, but I, you know, lived there when I was just a toddler. And, you know, that... I still remember it, which is pretty uh, interesting because there's lar large parts of my time in other places that I barely remember when I was much older. But uh, yeah, Puerto Rico was, um, I, I, yeah, I do have some memories from my formative years there. And that was, uh, it, yeah, it feels like, you know, all of the places that we lived in were, were our home for some time and that they're places that we could go back to and still, you know, still know people, still meet, 
few friends who still live there. Uh, so it's, yeah, it, it's, it's very hard to hear that anywhere that we've been is, you know, is suffering. So, can you tell me a little bit more about the places that you've been throughout your life? Uh, yeah, so after, you know, um, so born in El Paso, we lived in Puerto Rico briefly, uh, and then we moved to Florida, uh, where I spent the most time, and Florida probably left the biggest impression on me because of that, um, and we lived out in the boonies in Leesburg, which is like, you know, I, I, I think it's two hours south of Miami, so we were way far, we were far from, from anything resembling, like, the, you know, city areas of Florida, way in the countryside, where, um, we, we had this really old house with a, you know, big plot of land, where we were just running around, uh, you know, climbing trees, and, you know, studying all the, all the wildlife, and it was, it, Florida was really beautiful, um, and we really loved it. After, after Florida, we moved to Houston, uh, which we didn't, I, I didn't like it quite as much. Um, you know, we, we lived in a, you know, a newer house in Houston, but the, you know, the wildlife was much, uh, much less beautiful. There was a lot of wasps, I remember, <laughs> but not a whole lot of, uh, uh, much else. It was a very, you know, uh, whereas we had been living kind of in the wilderness in Florida, we were living in the suburbs in Houston and it was kind of a, you know, all, all very stratified and kind of every, plots of land, very, everything laid out on a grid. And it was very kind of, a, uh, we, we still had adventures there, but it was mostly, uh, just motivated by our, you know, our friendships with, uh, people at school and, um, you know, with some teachers and with each other. And then after, Houston, we moved to, uh, we moved to California, if I remember correctly. We moved to California, uh, where, uh, no, no, I'm getting it wrong. We moved to Hawaii, um, and lived on the island of Oahu after Houston. Um, so we lived, we lived there, uh, for a short period, maybe 18 months, and, uh, you know, Hawaii was a very different experience than Houston. Like we were still living in kind of a suburb, but a suburb in Hawaii is completely different from a suburb in Houston. It was just, uh, completely, um, it, it was so much natural beauty to the island that, you know, it, it didn't really register so much. And as a kid, like I kind of regret be living there as a kid because I didn't appreciate it. In the, in the way that it would today. Um, and I also met some excellent teachers there when I was in middle school that I still remember. And you know, made some friends um, as well. And I, I think that was the place where I was the generally the happiest uh, as a kid. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was kind of a kind of a jolt to leave Hawaii and move to California where we lived in the desert. <laughs> And, uh, you know, just <laughs> taking us, uh, from another school, from one school to another school again, and, uh, you know, remaking friendships, um, uh, meeting, 
you know, some new people, making, uh, making some friends again, and, um, you know, meeting more teachers that, uh, you know, kind of fell in love with. I had, I had a great English teacher in high school, Mr. Schloss, who I still, uh, you know, he was just the best teacher I've ever had, probably. Uh, uh, and just right up there with um, a teacher I had later when we moved back to El Paso. And uh, we moved back to El Paso after California, and I finished high school. Uh, I finished high school there, and you know, technically it wasn't El Paso. We were living in Canatillo, which is a town just east of El Paso, uh, just west of El Paso, across the mountain. And um, yeah, yeah, made some made some longer lasting friendships there, just because after El Paso we didn't move again afterwards. Uh, I continued to, to move because of college, um, and then, I, you know, at, at college I was moving back to Houston, uh, uh, where I went to Rice, and, uh, then, you know, got my undergraduate degree, went back to El Paso, and then, uh, studied at, uh, UTEP, uh, University of Texas in El Paso, uh, and then finished my, um, finished my master's degree, uh, living in Ohio, uh, with a, in a co-op program, working at the Air Force. So it was, uh, I've, yeah, I've been to a lot of places and some of, you know, some of those friendships, um, you know, have obviously lapsed, um, but I still have a lot of memories, you know, and yeah, I just want to like plug, you know, another one of my favorite teachers was my calculus teacher in El Paso, Mr. Dobbin. And, uh, he was, um, he was just fantastic. He was, he was, uh, he had, uh, uh, purchased his own textbooks in Mexico because the ones that the high school had, the default Texas curriculum textbooks, uh, sucked. So he, he bought good ones, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and we just, I learned so much in that class, uh, you're not just calculus, but also about, um, just about what, uh, what it took, like, for me as a, as a student to really, uh, to really find my success. Like, I really needed to connect with, you know, the material, I, and that was something that I, a lot of times difficulty with in the in the past like uh i was never as a student i was always making good grades making you know i learned the material very easily but most of the time i was you know my head was in another place uh i was i was way ahead in terms of you know my reading level uh, and i was just not connecting with any classes and then you know took that class and the material was just, I was into it. And it was, it just struck me in a way that uh, I hadn't, hadn't been, I hadn't experienced before in other classes. So, yeah, that, that was, that was a really great experience. And I'm glad I had him as a calculus teacher before I went to college, because that was, that made it a lot easier.
So, Moira, mm-hmm. why don't you tell me a little bit more about your relationship with your family? So, <clears throat> right right now, I, I kind of don't have one. Um, not, not a family, just a, a relationship, an active relationship with them. So, let's see. So, my, my dad's side of the family... Um, I grew up with an aunt and two uncles. Um, again, one uncle and, and my aunt passed away. I still have, um, an uncle who is alive, still living in New Rochelle. Um, my father passed away. I was very young. Funny enough, it was, he passed away not too long after he told me about my half-sisters. And I, I, I still remember... I still remember exactly where I was standing when I was a kid, when my mom told me that my dad was dead. But anyway, um, so that that's my dad's side of the family. My mother's side, um, who I had kind of like more relatives involved in my life, um, most, of, most of my mother's side of the family is in Long Island. Um, so growing up without a car... They were. They may as well have been like, over in over in Italy, um, but mo- most of my my mom's side of the family is mostly Italian, um, and so they, they may as well have been in another country um, because it was hard to it, it was hard to make time to go see them, and even if we had the time, just having to navigate public transit with me and me, my grandma, and it was it was hard. Um, so, so again, I, I don't really know them. Um, the only, the, actually, the, the only one relative that lived out in Long Island that I did know, um, that I did have some kind of relationship was my cousin Carmine. Uh, he was much older than me. I think he, God, like, I think he's like 30 years older than me, but he was still my cousin. And I, I love my cousin Carmine. He had this, like, Hulk Hogan style, like handlebar mustache, and uh, and his his nephews and nieces called him Uncle Mustache. Yes, he was. Uh, I I love my cousin Carmine, but and uh, so he he was the only other relative out there that I kind of had any any real relationship with. Uh, then there's my. Um, aunt, my aunt and uncles, uh, my bro- my mother's siblings, um, they are, they're all still alive. My mother passed away several years ago. Um, let's see, my uncle, my uncle Joe is living in, I think he's living in Brooklyn, but we never see him because he is like the worst at keeping in touch with family. Although to be fair, so am I. Um, he he had remarried after he had my cousin Stephen, um, my cousin Stephen who actually lived up up in Poughkeepsie. Which now that I think about it, there's no real reason why I don't go see him since now I have a, access to a car and he lives not that far north. Um, but yeah, he oh yeah, my uncle Joe had remarried and had another has another son who's like i think four or five at this point so 
I have like a four or five year old cousin. Um, and then my aunt Fran had gotten divorced from her from her husband. Uh, he moved out to Florida. I don't know why. And then my cousin Julian, uh, her son, about a year or two ago, also moved out to Florida to be out there with him. Uh, they were previously they were living in Jersey, uh, but then after the divorce, um, my aunt Fran moved to uh, the Upper West Side, and the Upper, Upper West Side of Manhattan, and uh, my uncle Paul moved to Florida, and my cousin Julian stayed in Jersey for a while. Then yeah, then eventually moved. Um, what else? And then there's my uncle Chris, who right now is living in living in Provincetown, um, and he's, he's date, he's still dating this guy he'd been dating for a while, like, for the longest time, but they aren't married for whatever reason, I don't know. It's, it, it's always, it's always been this kind of weird relationship where they're dating, but kind of not, I, I don't know, but... Um, we, we went out to, we actually went out to visit him with my Aunt Fran, and it was, what, was it a year and a half ago? It was like a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was good to see him. It had been a long time since I, since we'd seen each other. And, yeah, it's like, the, like the last time he had, we had seen each other, it was, it was actually at my mom's funeral. <laughs> and I was 20. No, it was at my grandmother's funeral when I was 25, so that would have been seven, almost seven years ago. Um, so that would have been 2011, and when I was back in school. But, um, yeah, so my relationship with the family is, like, I, I still see my, my Aunt Fran because she's really been the one who's, like, the most, I guess, active in my in my life like she she's felt like more of a mother to me than my actual mom who was a like my mom my mother wasn't she wasn't a bad person she was just a bad advocate and after after she passed away <clears throat> when i inherited uh, her things from when she was staying in a nursing home um, she was staying in a nurse in a nursing home because she had um, she was a unmanaged type two diabetic who developed many um, like health problems that required um, ongoing care and management. Uh, one of them being uh, renal failure, so she needed dialysis. So she just was living in a nursing home that had dialysis on site. So I, I inherited a few a bunch of all of her things and. Among them was an activity that I guess they had the residents doing at the nursing home. And it was some like Xerox copy of a, like a questionnaire from some magazine. One of the questions was, what do you fear the most? And her answer to the question was, now this was, again, this was, this was 2010. So this was well into my transition. She written down the path my son had chosen, and she underlined son twice. So, 
like here I am, like several several years into my transition. My mom knows my name, knows my pronouns, and you know she she was one of the first people I came out to, although she was pissed that I wasn't the first one that she came out to. Well, not pissed. It's just she was, I guess, her disappointed. Well, whatever. She she was offended that I didn't come out to her first because. She's because she was my mother and all that fun stuff, <clears throat> but but yeah, like my but yeah, my but my friend it was it was none of this it was none of this stupid expectation of how I'm supposed to interact with her, and she was she was more willing to be an ally and advocate for me. Than my own mother was. There was a, there was an incident where I was visiting I was visiting my mom at the nursing home and we were outside in like a little courtyard and she introduced me to one of the other residents as her son and she used male pronouns to refer to me. I waited till after the other person had left and I I confronted her like and asked her why. Why she was introducing me as a male-identified person when she knew that was wrong. She told me because she felt like she would be embarrassed. When, if, if you're really going to be an advocate for your own child, if you really care about and love your child, you, you, you're going to, and if they're going to have the courage to do what they need to do to be happy and be successful, you should probably support them. She wasn't. <laughs> But yeah, so that's that's my that's my wonderful family. The, the the only person that I really had any grudge with was my mom, because she she failed at every she failed at every opportunity that she could have when it came to accepting me as trans. She wasn't a monster that like kicked me out of the house or disowned me but when I said hey there's this group that I found for the parents of you know like trans people it's it's great we should go to it you could ask a lot of questions you could get support from other people and she just kind of casually said well no you know I I'm okay I'm not freaking out I accept you as you are but she really didn't I I told her it's not like this group isn't about me it's about you you getting to be with other people who, who, who've had to kind of come to terms with accepting their child as they are, mourn, like mourning the loss of the, the child that they kind of expected their kid to grow up to be, and accepting that this is okay, and realizing that their child is happier now. That if they continue to try and force this identity on their child, that they'd be miserable. <laughs> yeah, so, and, I mean, I'll, I'll never know how my dad would have reacted to <clears throat> me transitioning since he died when I was 10, long before I ever kind of really knew how to put words to not feeling like, quote, the other boys, but, and that, that, that's kind of a bummer, you know, and, 
And I, I try really hard to like not like lionize him and make him out to be this ideal person in my mind that I will never get to know. But he was that he was perfect. And just realize that he was just another person. He was just a human being. I love him. I miss him. And there are a lot of things that we connected on when I was a kid that my mother and I didn't connect on. I definitely felt closer to him than my mother. And I, I won't lie and say that there weren't times where I felt like I wish that it were, it was my mom that passed away instead of my dad. But if that happened, who, who knows? I could be here saying the, saying the reverse, but yeah, it's, yeah, the, the parent thing. Yeah. So family things have been tricky. And actually when, so when Nicole and I started dating, I remember the, the first time she flew out to uh, El Paso for the, for the holidays, I, I stayed here in New York because we, we like kind of just started dating and, you know, like I hadn't, like we didn't, we hadn't moved in yet, although we would move in a few months after that. Uh, this was in December of 2014. We would move in together in February of 2015. <clears throat> but, um. But yeah, but the but the but the year after, um, like December twenty fifteen, when I flew out with her, beforehand I was like, I was thinking about what I was about to put myself in the middle of. Like I was going to be <clears throat> in a house with four of her siblings, two. I I would. I would be in kind of inheriting like four siblings, two in-laws of those siblings, her parents, and then whatever like friend like family or friends are gonna stop by. And I've it's been a long time since I've ever kind of been in this like big like family gathering situation where it's this really intimate gathering of family and it was It, it made me like really miss my parents and just having like a family because for so long I've just been alone. I've kind of lit I've almost literally been alone on my own trying to trying to scape, scrape by with working and supporting myself and trying to make sense of how how like I'm going to fit into the rest of society not not fitting in like every other girl because I'm tall I have like giant shoulders and yeah I don't have the most feminine face and I don't I don't I'm not naturally drawn to being like super femmy and demure and I don't I didn't, I didn't want to lie and sort of put on this facade of being super cutesy and femmy because it's, it's not me but at the same time, on some level, I want it to be accepted, and I digress. But yeah, it's just it 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 felt like a really it was something that I hadn't had for a long time, like a family, and I was getting kind of nervous and maybe like a little like emotionally like overwhelmed by it, and 
I was like the big thing I was afraid of was like while we were like in the middle of di- in the middle of having dinner, I would just start like break down crying, thinking about my mom and dad who haven't been a part of my life for a while at this point, and mo- mostly my dad who wasn't a part of my life really through most of it. I mean, it's been twenty two years since he passed away. It sounds like an unreal number now. Like I, I know people who have been alive, who I like my. I know people who have been alive not as long as my dad has died, he has passed away. And yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so that that's my that's the the diatribe of my my relationship with family stuffs. You mentioned a little bit of <clears throat> so Moira, you mentioned uh, not being drawn to uh, a really feminine or strongly feminine uh, present presentation. So could you tell me a little bit more about how you relate to your gender and your feelings on that? Uh, yeah, it was, so, the funny thing is, I, so, when I was, when I was 16, I, I shaved, I shaved my hair off, um, and, like, originally it was, it was partly because I just wanted to try, this was, this is still when I identified as male, when I was still in high school, partly I wanted to just try it out, see how I liked it, and I, really enjoyed being bald. I enjoyed not having this like mop of hair that I need to deal with every morning and that I have to take care of, shampoo and get trimmed every so often. And when I started transitioning, it, it, it became pretty clear that it would be easier for me to, tra- to pass as female, for people to acknowledge me as female if I had hair on my head even if it wasn't a lot, just if I had hair. But I I resisted that for a long time. I started actively transitioning when I was 20, and I didn't start, I didn't really start growing my hair back until I was like 23, because, and I was, I was really, I was trying really hard to like have this like, like Sinead O'Connor, like no hair, but still like that, like kind of, badass like woman vibe but unfortunately with my between my weight my body type my fucking hideous voice and i only i had only really gotten control over my voice after like after like after around three years of starting transition like right when i started growing my hair back that was when i finally managed to get control over this instead of having this super like deep dude voice um so but i i, I digress it's yeah, just but all but get but getting back to all the gender stuffs i just like i for a little while i tried wearing like a little bit of makeup like some mascara um some like eyeshadow and it just felt so 
Like, I, I know that I identify as more feminine than masculine, but the makeup didn't feel like... It, it didn't feel like an essential part of who I am. It didn't feel like a, a thing I needed in my life to <clears throat> help me express my gender, but my tools do. Like, like... Like, I have, like, down, downstairs, I have, like, a yellow and black, like, toolbox that I have had since I was a, like, young teenager. I've had things since I was, like, 13 years old. I still have it. I still use it as my toolbox. I love that toolbox. And I know this is a weird place to have it, but in the bathroom right now, sitting on the windowsill, there's a pair of channel lock pliers that were my dad's. I have kept them that long. I have never owned another pair because I love that pair of channel lock pliers. I love my tools. I, My tools define me more than I felt makeup defined me. And it was less because of not, it was less because I didn't have it growing up as a kid. It's not because it wasn't something I was kind of socialized to accept as a part of my life, but just, didn't fit me and 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 it was hard initially kind of finding where I how I felt comfortable interacting with kind of everyone else and at first I did at first I did think that I needed to sort of like squeeze myself into this mold of what it means to be a woman and it was <laughs> really miserable at first I felt better than trying to be a dude, but I still wasn't completely happy. It wasn't until <laughs> it wasn't until slowly I realized that it was okay for me to be a fucking dykey trans woman who was like loud and doesn't wear fucking makeup, and sometimes my hair might be a little bit of a mess, or it's okay for me to not have hair. Although I, I am waiting until I lose more weight to shave the hair off again. But, um, yeah, and it's, I was like, so I started transitioning when I was 20, when I was 20. It wasn't until I was like 20, yeah, it wasn't really until I was like 25 when I really felt comfortable with, um, with my body and I was, I'd gone back to school at this point. I, after high school, I took a long break to figure out transition stuffs. And when I finally felt comfortable enough, or at least that I didn't want to wait any longer to go back to school, going, being in college was the first place where I was being acknowledged exclusively as female. There wasn't a single person who was like, misgendering me, no one giving me odd looks when I used the women's bathroom. And at first I, I didn't want to like, you know, fuck it up by letting anyone else know that I, that I'm, you know, really trans. And it, after the first semester with all the interactions I'd had and I, I realized that my, my trans, I realized that the people around me were cool enough where I, I could trust them not to try and invalidate me being female because they know that I'm trans. So little by little as I started 
kind of like coming out to other people. And towards the end of that second semester, I wound up giving like giving a lecture on what it means to be trans to like a group of people as part of a day of like lectures by other people. And it was great. And I'm, but, and that, and that was really what helped me. I feel like my experience at college helped me to feel more comfortable in me just being some butchy trans woman. And that's fucking okay. That I don't have to be the, the like the, the Hollywood trope of the person who transitions from male to female. And then they learn how to put on makeup and do their hair and how to walk in heels. Oh, fuck heels. Fuck heels. No, I give me my Bates, like my Bates, like EMT boots any fucking day, you know, or give me a comfortable pair of fucking sneakers. I, no, no, no heels. No, I'm five foot nine. I'm tall enough. Um, but yeah, and now I'm just totally, <laughs> I'm, I'm unabashedly like non-femme. I'm like, I'm fem-ish as I, I, I kind of like to say. I'm, I'm fem-ish. Like, yes, I, I identify more as feminine than masculine. And yeah, if, if you want me to pick one of the one of the binary yeah i identify more as a woman but at the same time like fuck gender so <clears throat> nicole um i'd like to ask you the same question how do you relate to your own gender uh for me it's uh it's there's a kind of, um, I guess, a, it was difficult for me when I started transition because I, uh, I definitely have a more, uh, like feminine presentation and I really like to be in touch with that, uh, that part of myself. But, uh, like I knew starting out that there were some like things I couldn't overcome and things that, or, or I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to overcome for a long time, at least, and that I would have to accept, you know, to some extent, accept, you know, the parts of me that uh, I couldn't change, you know, until, you know, eventually that wasn't an issue or what have you. Uh, it's, uh, it was kind of a balancing act in the beginning between my, like, my dysphoria and my uh, eagerness to move forward, you know, with my transition because I would, um, you know, I, I was trying to um, trying to apply makeup competently and with no one to teach me. So it was, you know, very difficult to, you know, like fail and then like look at myself in the mirror and just feel like waves of dysphoria, just, you know, killing my, uh, my self-esteem. And, uh, you know, at the same time, I was really excited that I was on the, on this path to, you know, realizing, you know, myself as, you know, as I should be. And, uh, it just took time to kind of, uh, 
to find a way to find a way that I could present myself where I was comfortable in how I looked and comfortable with with myself and just um how do I put it um just keeping myself uh keeping myself happy um even though I didn't have everything that I that I wanted um so yeah and I, and I still don't but it's more of a I know that eventually I'll be in a better place and I'll have you know I'll have better uh, control over those things that initially I had no control over like initially no control over my voice I had no uh, no expectation that I could ever have uh, like GCS um, because I had no idea where my where my future would go and if I would be if I would still be employed, you know, going down, or if I would have a job that could pay for uh, GCS, where I would end up, and, and uh, you know, part of what made it difficult is that I, I started transitioning when I was living in Ohio, uh, and that was that was temporary. That was just while I was finishing my master's degree, uh, and when I left Ohio, I went back home to El Paso, so I had to go back home, and not only... Uh, do that and find that um, that balance for myself, but also cope with interacting with my parents who had not, uh, who had just started learning about what my experiences were and weren't, you know, they weren't uh, on board yet. You know? uh, and so they, uh, they started, <laughs> they, they started their, Kind of journey of acceptance not long before I showed up um, and and there's you know they've come a long way but you know it's still it's still an ongoing source of conflict so and I'm glad that I'm no longer living uh, <laughs> with them because it's it's one thing to have to deal with uh, dysphoria that's coming from your own head uh, and it's a completely different level of anguish to have to deal with someone else judging you according to their standards so um but i am uh i'm pretty happy with how how things have turned out for me and uh i really i really uh i really feel like i have in in a lot of ways that i didn't expect embraced uh you know that feminine side of me that I had only just begun to explore when I first came out to myself. That's also funny that when when you first like when you started dating, you were looking for some other cute femi person, and then you found me. <laughs> Speaking of. <laughs> So, I, I'd been dating for a while, fat with varying degrees of success. Um, there was like a couple, of, like cis dudes that I went on dates with. I was dating 
another this other trans girl that was living in Brooklyn and that did not end well um, and then a couple week couple weeks after her and I broke up I found Nicole's profile on OkCupid and if, if I'm honest I I almost didn't message her I because like I, I read through her profile and we seen pretty compatible um, okay Cupid was telling me that we were very compatible um, but it was something about like the pictures that she had posted that made it seem like maybe she was a little more high maintenance than her profile was letting on like the I'm it was a really a really dumb thing to think and I'm so glad now that I didn't let myself succumb to it but I thought because of the way she was like posing her like the way she, the faces that she was making into the camera it wasn't to the level of like duck face for cupcakes kind of nonsense but it felt kind of close it I felt like she might be someone who is a little more um susceptible to following trends or being kind of a little obsessed with like pop culture stuff more so than I am and I'm not down for that but in spite of that, I, I messaged her, and we started talking pretty much immediately about anime, which I was totally down for. It's like, oh, this is going well. Okay, let's keep going. And we, we chatted for, like, a week, and then we're like, hey, so do you want to, like, meet up and do a thing? And I was I was living in White Plains at the time. Um, I had... Yeah, I was living in my place at the time, and I was I was actually living at what was basically like a shelter, <laughs> which was a whole other thing. The fun thing I was living, working as an EMT, living in a shelter. But anyway, so we so we met up so we met up at a like Asian restaurant that was not too far away from where I was living because I didn't have access to a car, but Nicole was able to rent a car pretty easily uh we met up and holy hell she was so nervous really really cute and i'm i'm glad that her hair in her hair when i met her was very different from her hair in her pictures it looked much better <laughs> because it was sh in the pictures it was either short or it was it was either very short and straight or it was kind of long and straight and when i met her at the at the restaurant it was longer and curlier and looked much better on her but dear god you were nervous you were so nervous i still can't believe that i was actually trying to straighten my hair in el paso <laughs> it gets so hot there and uh well, that's just it. You take a piece of metal, you put it outside. <laughs> there's your, there's your, your, your straightening iron. <laughs> I, I'm so sweaty. Yes, but um, but yeah, and that that night, um, you know, like we 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 talked a little bit and like over dinner, and I, I'd like to think I impressed her with my chopstick skills, as I am a. Uh, 10th degree, I have a 10th degree black belt in chopstick foo, but, um, but, 
but in, in all seriousness, we, we talked a lot, and um, I. It was very clear that she was very nervous, and although I wanted things to progress fairly pretty quickly, I also didn't want to like scare her off, um, which is kind of funny because it, while we were while we when we went on a walk later uh, after dinner, while we were talking, I don't know why I let it slip. I told I told her about my involvement in the New York City um, fetish scene and the, the moment the words left my mouth I thought oh what did you do what did you do don't scare this poor girl off like she just moved here and she looks super nervous but I, I knew it would seem worse if I kind of I tried to backpedal it so I just, I just leaned right into it and I Walked her to her car, um, hugged her, went our separate ways. Um, the next date, though, I I was determined, like, I'm kissing her tonight after this date, or it's unlikely something will happen. But I didn't want, but I didn't want to feel like I was like forcing myself on you. Yeah. So I I spent like the last I spent like I think like the last it was like, it was either before the date or it was like towards the end of the of dinner where I came up with a brilliant plan. Like, I'm like, I'm a genius. <laughs> like, I totally got this. And I thought, I thought to myself, okay, I'll walk her to her car like I did last time. And then when I hug her, as I'm like pulling away from her, I'll put one hand like on the back of her neck and gaze deeply into her eyes. <laughs> this way, I'm not like, I'm not like, my face isn't just like lunging towards her. <laughs> Like a plunger towards a toilet. Um, and this way, but I'm also giving her the signal like, Hey, I'm into you. Wanna suck face? <laughs> Which is what I did ex exactly. Yes. <laughs> because the the moment my hand touched the back of her neck, like she was kind of like, like she like had her arm, like she had her hands on my jacket, on my jacket sleeves. The moment my hand touched the back of her neck, she like, her arms tensed up, she grabbed my sleeves and then she yanked me into her, and it was some of the worst kissing I <laughs> ever, ever experienced. Except for this cis dude that I went on one date with, and one only because he was a creep monster, but that's a whole other story. But it was, but again, her kissing was terrible. It was so bad, baby. <laughs> And I made that very clear to her, I made it very clear to you much later. But in the moment, my thoughts were, yes, score, victory. She's terrible at this, but we can, <laughs> but we can work on that. Yes, um, that was fun. Yes, and then we <laughs> we then uh, we we then made our way into the back of the car where we then Titanic style like fog made out and fogged up the windows. But, yes, I still remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that was fun. So, <clears throat> Nicole, I'd like to ask you, um, how do you feel about, um, God, I'm really, I'm really tripping up today. I don't know what it is. Sorry, please edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Nicole, Moira mentioned that 
she got her care at County Mord. Um, how were you able to access care? Uh, when I first arrived in New York, it was difficult for me to set up a, a set up a care provider. Um, I was kind of, you know, I was I was going from place to place in Westchester trying to find someone who was, uh, who was able to, um, able to prescribe my hormone therapy. Um, but, um, I kept on kind of getting the runaround and, uh, uh, you know, tried an, an endocrinologist in Scarsdale and, uh, set up an appointment and, uh, she, like, I was there on time. She waited about an hour and a half to see me after that and uh you know I just kind of wrote it off as they were busy but then she saw me and said she couldn't give me any treatment uh at all and just said uh you know that she could you know refer me to someone else uh but uh I was kind of upset so I I just said no and left and you know uh that's when uh you know, after that you know talked to Moira and she suggested that I just go to Calamord mm -hmm. and save myself the trouble of searching through Westchester endocrinologists to figure, to find someone who, uh, who can do it. Cause she was getting her care at Calamord already. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was, uh, it was also convenient for both of us since we could, you know, kind of coordinate and do our appointments on the same day, uh, you know, through Calamord. So I ended up, I called them, uh, you know, set up, an appointment and it was very easy for me to uh uh to set up a care relationship at Callum Lord and I'm still I'm still going there for primary care. Um and it's it's been great. It's it's probably my most I would say it's my yeah, my best uh best interaction with healthcare, you know, has been at Callum Lord. Everywhere else I've yeah sucks. <laughs> Everywhere else has kind of sucked. Yeah. So, you two um, had your first date, I'm assuming, in New York City? It, actually, it was, our first date was in, um, it was in White Plains. Um, mm -hmm. if, <clears throat> if, if I had greater ability to, like, travel and I had mm -hmm. more free time, I, I probably would have suggested someplace in Manhattan, but... Yes. But we, we, it wasn't long after we met that we did go to the city. Right. Uh to uh yeah when i brought you to your first like fetish play party yes yes so i would like to ask uh -huh. um uh what are some memories and experiences that you relate to new york city um that really mm. define it for you hmm uh i think I think one of the things that really defined it for me and I think will always define it well for me is, is the, is the day that, uh, the day of our, uh, that lawyer proposed to me. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Because we, we spent that whole day in the city. Yes. Uh, and it was, uh, it, it was just utterly enjoyable and, and, and romantic and fun. And I, I really, um, yeah, I, I kind of really bond with the, <laughs> with the 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 kind of city, the culture of the city. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that 
there was there was so much there and we had only just touched the surface of it uh and i yeah i think that day will will kind of that that will always be how i remember new york city as a place where uh you know there's the traffic's horrendous but there's incredibly beautiful experiences that you can have there and then you can go to a a a a, a ska concert on a boat and then go for donuts at like 2 (laughs) a.m yeah this so so to to expand a little bit on it on Mm -hmm. this day so it was our our one year anniversary um of our relationship and i had already made plans to propose to her um, and I take, I took her to, we went to Dave and Buster's for lunch, Henry and Hudson for, like, for drinks. Then we went to the Rocks Off the Boat, um, concert to see, uh, the Voodoo Glow Skulls and Mephiscopheles. Uh, there was some other trash band that was playing before the Voodoo Glow Skulls, but who cares? The Voodoo Glow Skulls and Mephiscopheles were awesome. It was her first time at, like, a ska show. Uh, it was not mine, and it was awesome. It was so good. And then afterwards, um, I now I had already I already had this planned out. I had called the Donut Pub, which is my favorite place to go to get donuts, and I had because they because they have the best black and white cookies in the five boroughs. Come at me if you want to disagree. So I called them and asked, like, hey, can, like, hey, I want to propose to my wife using black and white cookies. Could you make me, like, a custom batch of, like, six black and white cookies? And they all say, marry me. Dude on the phone says, uh, I could make you, like, a giant 12-inch black and white cookie. I, lit- literally, my response was, I, I love you. <laughs> this With this sort of, like, food lust in my voice. So I... I agreed, you know, I, it was, it was like, it wasn't that, and the best part is it was, so I even worked out a code phrase with him. So when I walked in, I could just say, do you have any black and white, do you have any fresh black and white cookies to the person behind the counter? And they would know, oh, this is the couple. So when we got, so when we got to the donut pub after the concert at 1222 in the morning, I was worried a little bit because there was like, two trays of black and white cookies in the window and like three more on the rack behind him. So I wor- I'm worried that, oh man, if I ask this, is, is Nicole going to think something's up? But then I realized, oh yeah, she's oblivious. She won't suspect a thing. I was exhausted and oblivious. And your, nor- and your baseline is oblivious. <laughs> so I, you, I uttered the code phrase, and the dude behind the counter, my ginger-haired brother, as I call him, just poker-faced and said, ah, yeah, let me check in the back. Comes out. I have my phone ready to take pictures. And she sees it and doesn't acknowledge that there's lettering on it. Just sees giant black and white cookie. She turns to me with this, like, baby, look, there's a really big black and white cookie. Like, how funny is this? You asked for a fresh black and white cookie. You brought this out. And then she realizes that, like, I have my phone out, pointed at her as if I'm taking pictures. 
and everyone else around us is getting really excited for how early in the morning it is. So she looks back, sees that it says, marry me, immediately dissolves into tears. That was a great moment. Fortunately, I had planned ahead, and I had parked not too far from where the donut pub was. That was a great moment, because we had... Uh, we had just come you know, off the concert where you, where I had seen like just Sky uniting yes. people from across the city, <laughs> yeah. uh, including us who had never, like me from Texas and you who, you know, you came from New Rochelle, you didn't live in the city, but you worked there. Yeah, but I, yeah, but I'm, I'm a New Yorker. So but you're a New Yorker. I mean, <laughs> to say like, oh, you from Westchester as if it's some far off land. <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> but it is. No, it isn't. It, it was. It was just. Yeah, it, it was great, and, and I think that kind of uh, that kind of became my uh, my picture of the city, um, and yeah, it still is uh, because it's you know the city's got problems, but it is ultimately um, a place where people are having all of these experiences every single day of the year. And this, that one was just ours. It just happened to be ours, but Mm -hmm. it is, um, it is a, it is a beautiful hive of humanity. (laughs) Yes. So Moira, I'd like to ask you how I'd actually like to ask both of you, um, how, does how it, mm, this is gonna be I mean I feel so embarrassed right now <laughs> dude uh so Nicole what's it like being in a visibly queer or visibly lesbian relationship um and a trans woman it's uh it's really it's really great uh in a lot of ways so the, uh, the, the wonderful thing that emerged from our relationship and, and like, just when we got together, it was so convenient that we both had similar experiences <laughs> yes. with our gender identity. So we didn't have to explain to each other what it means to be trans, <laughs> what it means to be trans or what it means to be dysphoric. There was no, like, we would say what we were feeling and the other person would know because they had been there at some point. Like we, we both had had the same experiences, and it was so easy to discuss uh, being trans and what what we were facing. Uh, and it was it, it's something that is was not really uh, was not easy for me in um, you know, when I was uh, when I was looking for relationships. You know. I went, after starting transition, um, I was, um, I had searched for some relationships when I was still in El Paso and then, you know, coming to New York, um, you know, like at, just trying to make friends even, um, it was, you know, being trans can be kind of a stumbling block because you meet someone and you have to like, especially since I wasn't, I wasn't passing very well. Um, it's something that just demanded some kind of explanation which gets in the way of everything that you want to 
you want to do with friends. You want to, you know, you want to hang out and have fun and play, you know, play board games maybe. Or if you're on a date, you <clears throat> want to just get to know the person uh, and uh, enjoy their company and have some, uh, you know, thoughtful conversation, among other things. And uh, the fact that we could just do that right off the bat without this kind of, uh, you know, uh, trying to translate uh, some very, very difficult uh, emotions into, you know, cis language. Uh, it, it was, it made things, it made things very smooth. And living in a trans relationship, uh, you know, has been also very, uh, very rewarding for both of us because we, um, for, in a lot of ways, we, we share kind of the same, uh, same hangups with family. Uh, you know, so we, we both like, uh, you know, like both of our mothers, <laughs> you know, both had a lot of trouble accepting us. So we, you know, we can comfort each other from a really, uh, you know, from a place of shared experience. Uh, and we do that, yeah, on a regular basis. It's, um, uh, as far as like the way other people view our relationship, uh, it generally hasn't been hasn't been a problem. Uh, most most of the time, um, we don't get any. We haven't gotten any kind of uh, flack. Yeah, we haven't gotten any flack from people in in New York, even in Westchester, which is kind of more conservative in the city. Um, it's uh, I think people just prefer to mind their own business, which was something that I had noticed when I was, when I was starting transition in Ohio, that even though I was, um, you know, I, I was definitely not passing then, uh, but I was walking around, nobody was giving me any, any crap for it because just this, uh, this might be more specific to America, but just like everyone was so focused, minding their own business and just ignoring anyone else's, uh, anyone else's like plight, plight, or anyone else's, anyone else, uh, being different and just, you know, focusing on, on their own, uh, the reasons why they were, uh, why they were doing what they were doing and just ignoring, uh, you know, ignoring me and, you know, to the most extent, ignoring like us when we're out, like people who, people who aren't, uh, able to, understand uh how we are in a relationship don't even bother walking up and asking it's you know people it uh we only we generally only interact with uh because of that we only interact with people who are already pretty um already pretty uh accepting and um you know, socially conscious and it's been it's been great it's kind of a an automatic filter. <laughs> so if, if, if I'm sure if, if we were both like really, um, like really boring looking people, uh, it would be a different story and we would be, um, we would have to kind of broach the subject with people, uh, as they, <laughs> as they come into our social circle eventually and just like, you know, bring them up to speed. But, uh, because, because we're so open about who we are and, um, 
you know, in our relationship status, it's, uh, it's, it's been surprisingly easy. Um, the only, the only places it gets hard are, uh, when we're interacting with, um, we're interacting with like faceless institutions, which don't have any kind of, you know, none of that works there. Like people may be minding their own business, but to you, they're still, you're still just a name on a piece of paper and, uh, they will react to you in whatever way that they see fit. So it is, um, that is still difficult, but it would be difficult in any case. What are your feelings on the subject? So some of the same, um, so it, it's actually kind of a, a two part thing. So the first, like specifically being in a, in a relationship with Nicole, um, I really early in our relationship, it became really clear that I am the, I'm the first person that she's ever dated. Like, and, and by that, I mean the first person that she's ever gone past, uh, past the first date with. Because I mean, let's face it, like if, when you go on the mm -hmm. first date with someone, you kind depending on how you or the other person feels, it may not feel like a date until you meet with the person again. And then you go, oh, okay, yeah, this, this is someone that I want to see again. So yeah, that last one, that, that was totally a date. Yeah. And I realized that she, she hasn't really, date, really dated anyone for any extended period of time ever. I, I was the first person that she'd ever dated. I was her first partner, girlfriend, whatever. First everything. I was her first kiss. That, the night that we kissed for the first time in the parking garage of the Galleria Mall was the first kiss that she'd ever had. And mind you, it was terrible. And I will always remind you that it was terrible. But it's, but knowing that I got to, knowing that her first kiss was with me and that I'm not some, that I, at least I like to think I'm not, I'm not some like monster who's going to try to take her for all she's worth and then leave her or that I'm going to be, I'm going to abuse her. That just knowing that I'm not that person and that I'm someone that will that will want to be with her and want to be someone that she'll want to be with for as long as she wants to be with me it i know this is going to sound a little weird but it, it gave me some comfort knowing that i could i could stop prevent her from having to go through a lot of the kind of bullshit that i've had to deal with um when it comes to dating because Like, there was like like the couple of dudes that I dated, some of the women I've dated. Like it's not not all of them were terrible, but some of them were. And especially like the like the other trans woman that I dated immediately before her turned out to be just an asshole. And I was so angry, and I still am really angry with her. And even now, this is four years later, I'm still really angry about everything that happened between her and I, and at the same time, I hope that she's doing all right, wherever the fuck she is. Um, but just, even though I can't 
go back and change all the awful relationship things that happened to me with all the things that I've, all the people I've been involved with, I can at least stop her from having those same awful experiences with other people where she's looking for, and especially because she's like really early in her, she was really early in her transition. And I was, even then I was still like a, like a old salty dog when it comes to transitioning <laughs> stuff. I mean, at that point I was what, like four, oh, four years. so I was like eight years deep into my transition and yeah, I figured I, I could at least be someone who prevents her from having to like suffer through some relation, a relationship with some, with a suboptimal partner just because they kind of validate their gender because I, I lived through that. I, I went through that. I dated someone for three years and it was okay. It was great for the first year. Okay. For the second, then the final year was, it was awful. So yeah, so it, it is, so it's partly that, that I, I kind of did want to be like a shield for her to stop her, to prevent her, to give her some kind of, um, some kind of like, like, support emotional support in the way of a partner so she wouldn't feel a need to keep going out and seeking a partner and ignoring maybe some of their like shortcomings and flaws even if they're ones that could be detrimental to her and that would never change for the other person so that that's part of it but it wasn't just that i wanted to protect her in spite of my attraction to her like no i'm genuinely I was genuinely attracted to Nicole, and I still am. And as far as how my transness relates to my relationship with Nicole, and how I really, <clears throat> and how I feel about being in a you know, clearly queer uh, relationship, good. I, I, I. Part of, part of the reason why I started to kind of, I guess, out myself in, in college was when I, re when I got to what I call the, um, and now what stage of my transition, where I got to, where I got to a point where I felt confident in my own, in my own presentation, I felt confident that everyone was acknowledging and accepting me as I wanted, to, as I wanted to be, um, recognized. I felt, okay, I've gotten to this point. Now what? Now, what do I do with this? I, I've, I've gotten to a place where I've largely gotten to the place where I want to be. So now what do I do with this? What do I do? And the answer was to be more visible, just to, to be someone who lives out, who just, who makes it where I, maybe I don't go around wearing a shirt that says, I'm a transsexual, deal with it. Although I, should get us something like that, but anyway, um, but th there was, there actually was a, um, an incident in my, in the second semester when I was in school where there were like three dudes, like in my class, like talking about some friend of theirs who was dating someone and found out that they were, and he found out that the girl that he was dating was trans and one of them said that one of them said, um, like, oh, me, I'd have punched her in the face. And I was right. I was sitting within earshot of them. And 
looking back, I realized that they didn't know that I was trans, which is sort of a good thing. Like they, that I am passing well enough, but I confronted them on it and I, I made them realize that like, look, you, like, you don't know who's trans around you. You don't know, like, you, you don't know who among you is part of the community that you just made fun of. And the funny thing was that all of them, all the people in that group were non-white people. They were all people who belonged to some minority group. And I was trying to, even though I, even though I didn't do it as eloquently as I'm describing now, I was a lot more um, brash when I confronted them. I, just to, just to remember that th there are minority groups that exist beyond skin color. And just because you're not part of that group doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. And I say all of this to get back to the point of like, I, even though, like, even though being in like a queer relationship kind of makes us a more of a like target for less tolerant people. Good. Good. I, I want, I want people who aren't tolerant to, of the queer, of queer people in general, or just anyone else. I want them to know that, that they're, really shouldn't be a safe haven for them. There shouldn't be a safe haven for bigotry. And if my, if me being openly queer, not just when I'm with, out with Nicole and we're being like disgustingly adorable in public, just even when it's not the two of us out together, just, just when I'm by myself, I, 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 I almost take pride in looking, not the right way, it's, I, I, I want, I want to represent the, I guess it, it almost kind of comes back to the, like, be the change you want to see in the world, that I, I want, I want people to be able to see in their community, other people that are like them, and Like when I first started transitioning, there there was there was no one that I knew who was like me. I I literally knew no one else that was trans until much later on in my transition. It wasn't until like a, a, like support groups aside, it wasn't really until like college when I started until after college when I started getting involved in the kink community when I really started meeting a lot of other trans people and was seeing them regularly. Um, but I digress. <laughs> but anyway, now that I'm pull this back as I pull this back from my tangent. Um, but yes, it, but it, it is easier being in a relationship with another trans person because like, like Nicole said, I, I don't have to fucking explain what, what dysphoria is. <sighs> um, and it, it does, it has made my life a lot easier. Not not just like dating wise, just my own like emotional well being. Because un until I met Nicole, like I wasn't as, and, and even shortly after I met her, I was kind of not as emotionally stable as I am right now. Us kind of being together, and as my like housing and like employment situation became more stable 
I became more stable, but she definitely, being with her has definitely helped me be a, a healthier, more well-rounded person. Can I ask you, um, since you both had different times of transition, um, let's, what's a little less problematic way to say this? Is... Well, or whenever, whenever you started experiencing, whenever well, you started taking steps towards... When we started our transpuberty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> whenever you, you started uh, taking steps towards making yourself, or feeling feeling more like yourself. Um, uh, Nicole, for you, what, what year was that? That was, uh, that was in 2012. And how old were you? Uh, at that point, I was... Uh, I was 22, going on 23. And Moira, um, you mentioned that you were 20? Yeah. Uh, um, and so mm -hmm. you both had, uh, you both had that experience right around mm -hmm. the same age, but in different times. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel, Moira, um, that, uh, things have changed, um, over time things like my personal life or societal like bigger picture societal okay um <laughs> it is so when um <clears throat> i mean it's de definitely with the like the, the explode the explosion of like social media has made um like, trans visibility a, a lot a lot more um, common. More people are aware, are at least aware of what it means to be trans, or maybe they even know someone who's trans. And it's there's I've I've definitely I've certainly had to explain myself less to people as um, as time has gone on, um, and and that and that's not because and that's not because like oh all my like oh I've let all my friends know and now they just know it's. No, I've, I've, I've been cycling through people over, just over the years. And so, yeah, so it's, so it's not the same people I'm explaining to, but it, it does seem like it's, even though it's, it doesn't seem like treat, like treatment of trans people has gotten really great, but things are getting better. Like, I mean. I remember when we were, we were driving to, I think, oh, we were driving to, um, a TNG, the TNG party that we were on, like, we were on the highway, I was driving, and we were listening to the radio. I know, gasp, who listens to the radio anymore? But, um, we were listening to the radio, and they'd announced that trans people are going to be allowed to serve in the military. And I... I started, I started crying. Fortunately, it was gridlock traffic, so that wasn't it wasn't super dangerous. But I, I started getting really emotional because when I was in, when I had gone back to college, I wanted to serve. I did want to join the military, so they could pay for my tuition 
because I was in the paramedic program. And that was, that was a barrier that I had to encounter, that I had to deal with, and I, I struggled to keep it together in the recruitment office so I could leave and get back to my apartment and then fall to pieces. Um, and I know with the current administration, the current Trump administration, that it that's kind of been brought back into question. But even just in that, even that moment, knowing that going forward, other trans people aren't going to have to deal with the bullshit that I had to go through going into that recruitment office and state and and telling someone that I want to volunteer to do something that all that so many other of these fucking cis people don't want to do. I want to serve my country and I want to get my tuition paid for in return for it. Let me do this. Let me do this because I'm qualified. I have all the qualifications that I need. Let me do this thing. And it's, it's nice. It was nice knowing that other trans people weren't going to have their it's gonna sound corny that they weren't gonna have their 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 val their honor insulted by being turned away and told they're not good enough, not good enough to serve and risk their life for their country. But um, but yeah, so it it does seem like it's gotten better, but there is a long, long, long way we need to go, even for even for like protecting people who are in people who are in same-sex relationships there's still a lot of there's still people getting their undies in a bunch over people who want to marry someone else in the same sex and that's been and that's been that's something that like organizations like the human rights campaign has been fighting for for decades and it still hasn't been completely codified in law and it would be nice if organizations like the Human Rights Campaign would actually fight for trans people instead of just focusing on gay people, not realizing that some trans people are also gay people. But, but I, I digress. But it, again, it does seem like it's gotten better overall. But it's going to be a long, slow road till we get to the point where it's this is just the norm, where kids are taught in school what it means to be trans because if if i if i had been taught if that had just been a part of sex ed learning about sexual orientation and gender identity i probably would have come out in, in school it was immediately after high school when i started questioning and it was because of a myspace profile i saw someone else's myspace profile i thought huh maybe that's the th i think this is the thing that's kind of not been right this is the thing that's been gnawing at the back of my brain. And, yeah. So, Nicole, um, did you experience any struggles between the intersection of being trans and also of his, uh, being Hispanic. Mm -hmm. Yes, the, the the big challenge in you know between you know like my being trans and my uh, the culture that 
me and my family came out of is you know, the fact that there was in his in our culture there's a there's a lot of traditional sexism that underlies you know the kind of Catholic uh, you know, the Catholic teachings that are on top of that and uh, you know the traditional gender roles are, are very strictly enforced so being trans is kind of uh, is kind of difficult in that environment because you know, for example, my, my sister had a quinceanera, right? And then I come out as trans uh, way past my teenage years. So, like, there's no, there's not going to be a quinceanera for me. <laughs> and this, uh, it, it kind of defies a lot of that, uh, a lot of the way things usually go in Hispanic culture. Um, and the way that, you know, especially since you know, uh, you know, I end up marrying, uh, marrying a woman and like that adds to that because there's so much, uh, there's so much in, you know, traditional, uh, in the traditions of like, you know, uh, weddings and such that we just, uh, we just didn't have any attachment to because of the fact, you know, because of that fact. And I had, I, when I was growing up, I wasn't really that attached to those traditions uh because of the way that my family had traveled around the country so much and we had interacted with people from a wide variety of experiences and i never felt like the you know the traditions that my parents uh, really believed in were i didn't feel like they were val more valid than anyone else's you know traditions like i we had uh literally across the country you're from Florida to Hawaii and like everyone had different um different expectations of what um you know of how to uh of how to live um so when you know when it came to my parents trying to enforce those kind of traditional ideas and you know catholic teachings with respect to me being trans it just kind of uh it it, it was like they were speaking from uh speaking from a time and culture that uh i could never have shared because they grew up in mexico um you know or, or at least uh my dad grew up in mexico my mom uh, grew up with uh you know her parents who her her parents who had grown up in mexico so they're very, very strongly rooted in in that culture in a way that I couldn't never be. Um, and yeah, that when I when I came out to them, they they found the uh, they found the idea of me being trans extremely uh, disruptive to everything that they had wanted for me. Um, and all, all it, very much all of that came from uh, you know those roots just uh and the i think that the way that uh the way that especially my my mom uses like catholic teachings to kind of you know hammer uh her disagreement home is less uh less of the motivation than the fact that i turned out so different than the life that she wanted me to have 
because she want you know and I think this is something that uh, like I wish she were here so that she, she can answer it herself but I also don't want her to be here no. because but the thing is no I, I, I think that she wanted to live vicariously um, through her children yeah. in in a lot of these ways and that's why she, like she was very uh, uh, she'd been very adamant that you know, she wanted to have a daughter and you know the fact that she only had one daughter was kind of disappointing to her. She wanted to have more, especially since, uh, you know, my sister, uh, was also, also came out of the same experiences as me in that she wasn't connected to that culture very much. And, um, I feel like my mom lost all her chances to have a child that kind of lived the life that she wished that she had had. Um, and, uh, you know, with me, it's, you know, doubly the case, you know, because like I, I not only abandoned, not only not abandoned, but I didn't share the same culture that she grew up with, but I also, uh, lost the religion that she taught us as, uh, you know, she taught her children. So I became an atheist, uh, in college and that was it, you know, I, I, I only recently, uh, told my parents that, um, about, I think, a um, I think a year, a year, a year and change ago. It would have been two, two years ago. Because I think a year and a half. No, probably. two and a half because half. it was, cause you, cause you flew out to Texas the, um, mm -hmm. the year that we met in 2014, mm -hmm. then the following year, December, 2015, we mm -hmm. flew out together, but your plan was you were going to tell your parents that you were an atheist when we got there. And I told you, fuck no, you are going to tell them now because I didn't realize that she hadn't, I didn't realize that she hadn't told them. So when I realized this, I said, no, you're telling them now before we get there. So we don't have this giant blow up because her, her parents are very Catholic and I don't want this giant blow up of <laughs> Of A, yeah. them trying to convince you that mm -hmm. you're not Catholic, and B, them blaming me for, quote, turning you atheist, because yeah. because what changed since last, from between last year and, th and that year? Oh, me. <laughs> they right. would naturally blame me. Right. And, and, and the, it's, it's a good thing that you did. They made you do that. Yes. But, but the, yeah, the, the, they, they... I was kind of a, I was one of the, like, the favorites, uh, when I was growing up, like, I, kind of as the, uh, gentle middle child that, uh, you know, was always, uh, was always kind of respectful, uh, to my parents and didn't get into trouble. Uh, they really liked me and I felt like that was, uh, that w made it especially difficult for them that, you know, I shared so little with what they saw as important, uh, and their values, uh, even though, like, all of those things that had, you know, made me such a likable kid were still there. Like, I'm still, uh, <laughs> I'm still achieving great things. I'm still, uh, I still have great relationships with people, uh, you know, not getting into trouble or anything. Uh, it's just the fact that, 
I chose a very different path and um, it's yeah it's an ongoing source of tension between me and my parents but for the most part my dad is um, is over feeling angry and um, and feeling like sorry for himself and being afraid for me uh, he's mostly uh, mostly just wants me to be happy um, and my mom is still uh, it still feels like she's she doesn't know what she wants um, so when yeah when we talk about it she's very adamant that she doesn't you know accept my identity um, but I you know, I feel like she's still trying to figure out uh, trying to figure out a way to kind of rationalize or, or put put the put these puzzle pieces together in a way that makes sense for her um, and her her values which is it's a challenge and I, I don't <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to be there uh, but yeah I wish all I wish her the best of luck mm -hmm. so Moira you mentioned uh, having some housing and employment difficulties in the past mm -hmm. Uh, could you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, so... Oh, Alright, so we have to turn back the clock all the way to... Um, so, when I first started transitioning, I was... Um, so, I was doing all the, the counseling stuff to qualify for hormones, and kind of in the middle of that, my... So my, both, both my grandmother and my mother and grandmother were in not great, like health situations. Um, my grandmother, um, her health started to, started to deteriorate sooner than my mother's, um, which was kind of unfortunate because the house that we were living in was in my grandmother's name. Um, so when she became the permanent resident of a nursing home, the, um, the deed had to get transferred to my mother's name. And we, I mean, we already knew that the house was something that really, that we really could, couldn't take care of the house anymore. It was, it was so, it was so old and it required a lot of maintenance. It, it, need, it needed a lot of repair. So we had to get rid of it. We sold the house and moved into apartments. And so this was. So we ended up closing on the house at the end of February and the apartments that we moved into, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to continue to pay for it because I had just started a job as working as a messenger, like a, like a bike messenger in, in uh, Manhattan. So I wasn't sure if I'd be able to actually like keep this place on my messenger <laughs> salary. So I went to Ali Fournay. On my 21st birthday, I was sitting there in Ali Fournay Center registering for emergency housing in case I became homeless. Fortunately, a few months, fortunately, um, I, I wasn't. Um, because uh, from the, the money from the sale of the house went towards um, the first three months of rent for the apartment. So I didn't have to worry about that for three months. 
But after that three months was up, by that time I had gotten a job working at a bicycle shop in, um, in New Rochelle. So I, I, was no, I was no longer commuting from New Rochelle into Manhattan every day, um, which I had done for the past three months. So by May of, oh, this would be 2000, uh, 2007 at this point. Yes, yeah, two, May of 2007, I got a job working at the bike shop and I was making just enough, but still enough to support myself and all was well until a new management company took over the building <laughs> And they jacked up my rent, uh, what was it, like a hundred bucks a month when they took it over, which was classy. So still struggling. Fortunately, the, um, my, the bike shop was giving me fairly regular, um, raises, um, years then fast forward to 2011. Going, went back to went back to school, and I was kind of relying on working part time at the bike shop and using the um, my income from that and some of my student loan money to pay my rent. And I got laid off. Got laid off from the bike shop, and I I know that I don't want to say that the general manager like hated me because I was trans, but I, I feel like it was something that made him like, uncomfortable. And like, he, he refused to call me by my name. He refused to call me Moira until I kind of gave him, I gave him a reason why he, why he should. Meanwhile, the store manager, the person that I worked under kept telling him to you know, call, call them Moira. Um, because at, at this, at, when I started working there, I didn't have any of my legal documents changed. Um, but all that happened later. But anyway, so I went back to school and I had to scramble for, had to scramble to find a job. Wound up working at Spencer's Gifts. And it was something. I, but I also had to take out a private student loan in addition to my federal student loan, which had a terrible interest rate. Um, and then eventually, eventually I moved from New Rochelle to White Plains because my job was now in White Plains. I was going to school in Valhalla, which is, which is about 10 minutes north of, um, of White Plains. So, so I, I was, I was within, I was within, um, Living in White Plains made it easier for me to go to school and to and to get to work. Um, but the only place I could afford to live in was the YWCA, which is basically a shelter, and it wasn't it wasn't terrible at first. But um, then this one person moved in to like the to my cluster, and she wasn't bad. She wasn't bad until she learned that I was trans. I was, I was getting a Halloween. I was prepping my Halloween costume. I was going to uh, cosplay as myself when I was seventeen. So like, 
I was, I was, I was finishing up this bald cap I was making and I was explaining to her, explaining to her roommate why it was a costume that I'm, that I'm trans and I looked very different when I was 17. And then this other new roommate walks in and this first roommate tells the other one that I'm trans and she freaks out and I'm not going to go over all the all the bullet points of the things she said, but they were all terrible. They were it was so so many of the like trans the anti-trans tropes and probably my favorite because it was so ridiculous thing that she said was um she said, "Well, net well, now, like now, when I come out of the shower, I can't just walk around with a towel wrapped around my waist and my titties hanging out. It, it was it was such an insane and unhinged thing. I've I've repeated that that same thing to to cis women of all all age all ages from all backgrounds, and they all agree that it's an unhinged thing to say. And fortunately, the the management like all the, like the director of the YWC was 100% behind me so I didn't have to worry about like losing my housing but I still had to deal with her every day until I moved out of there it was about like a year and a half I had to deal with her and I was fucking miserable I and then someone else moved in who also didn't like trans people so yay <laughs> Fortunately, I moved out shortly after that person moved in. Um, but, but in but in that period between when I moved out of my apartment in, in New Rochelle and when I moved into the YWC, that that was the second time when I, I was, I was pretty sure that I was going to be homeless. I was, I was working between. Spencer's and Sears, where I'd started working, I was working like 50, like 50 hours a week and, and commute and spending an hour, like an hour to an hour and a half each way on buses going to and from school and work and just trying to survive and just trying to, but also trying to like cling on to this apartment and and I knew that, like, I was barely making it. And I thought I was going to be homeless. I was lucky that the, the YWCA was in White Plains. And <clears throat> that made it easier for me to keep going to school. Although, ultimately, I had to drop out anyway. Because <clears throat> after I got my EMT certification, I couldn't find a job with an agency because I was in school. And they considered school a work restriction, even though I was still in school to become a paramedic. So if I got a job with an ambulance service as an EMT, about a year and change later, I'd be a paramedic so they wouldn't have to hire another person. They could just upgrade me and then hire an EMT. But yeah, so that's... So there's... So there was that. Uh, then fast forward a few years to me working for my a my second um, ambulance service, and this was towards the this was like towards the end of my career with this agency, because um, 
they put me with a partner that I'd, I'd worked with him before. And I, I had, I had to report him for a couple, for, for a few dumb safety violations. And it was the same dumb thing that he did twice. And supervisor spoke to him twice. So you think after that, that you know, he, He'd get his shit together. But no, instead. He just instead he decided to hold a grudge for me because I, I snitched on him. And so they partnered me with him again, even though I'd asked them not to put me with this guy anymore. So the agency I was with had a policy about if you're gonna put the ambulance in reverse and you don't have a patient in the back of the ambulance, your partner has to get out and spot you. So I needed to put the ambulance in reverse. I asked him to get out and spot me. He said he wouldn't because we had a backup camera. So there was like a monitor inside the, um, inside the cabin uh, where I was, where I could look at the monitor and there was a camera behind us that would show me what's behind us. I said, and I, after, after a back and forth of me telling him that I need someone there physically to stop people from walking behind the ambulance, I finally get our dispatch on the phone and I wanted them to say out loud that he needs to get out and back me up. So they confirmed it. Then he wanted the phone. He takes it and starts referring to me with male pronouns. And now he and I had had a conversation about like what it means to be trans. And I thought by this point, even if he's like holding some grudge against me, that at least he he understands that my transness does not take away from my humanity, but apparently he didn't. <laughs> so he goes right ahead and uses the wrong pronouns to refer to me while talking to, to dispatch, which by the way, they, they all knew me. This, par this paramedic that I was partnered with, he'd only been with the agency for, I don't know, seven or eight months. I've been working there for two years at this point. They all knew me. So... After he gets so, after he gets off the phone, he leans forward, points his hand at me, and says, "When I look at you, I see a man." And at that point, I I my I had checked out. I was done. I got out, like I got out, pulled out my personal phone, called up dispatch, and told him I can't do this anymore. I am done for today. Like I'm done. I'm not working with him anymore. Bring us back to base. Got got back, filled out all the paper, filled out all the paperwork I was supposed to about the in, filled out an incident report, and I was expecting that this guy was going to get fired. Like, surely, surely this would do it. Surely this would be the the last straw. No, no. Instead, they wanted to. Uh, instead, HR wanted to set up a meeting between me, this guy, and himself so it could be the three of us me the head of hr and this schmuck like hashing it out i remember i was actually standing like right outside on my phone having the conversation with this guy explaining to him that i don't i don't want to give it i don't want to give this guy another opportunity to harass me or verbally assault me the head of hr then said to me well you know we really should you know we should really have the meeting like this you know so we can move forward like adults Impl as if he's implying that me not wanting to be in a room with this 
monster who thought that who thought that ignoring the reality of my gender was totally cool as if me not wanting to be in a room with that person means that I'm a fucking child so I went to this I went to the the CEO the owner of the company who works out of the base that I worked out of I told him the whole thing and by the way there, there's no there's no he said she said about this there's a camera inside of the ambulance that records everything not just the video but also the audio and everyone at dispatch heard what ha heard what the schmuck said so th so there is an objective truth to what happened inside of that ambulance i told so i told the ceo about it he said he'd look into it a couple days later calls me and says that they gave him a that that he personally pulled this guy in and he he gave him a stern talking to they reviewed the footage with him and showed him why it wasn't okay and promised that he wasn't going to work with me again and they're going to make sure he doesn't do this again. I tried to impress upon him that th this isn't good enough and you know like what if he has what if he has a patient that's trans? It's g given that he doesn't respect a coworker that's trans, what guarantee do they have that he's going to respect a patient that's trans like someone who is in someone who is in the back of an ambulance in their most one of the most vulnerable seats they're ever going to be in you're, you're really going to trust a you're really going to trust this asshole with a trans patient when they have when he has a proven track record of not respecting a trans partner so he didn't find that compelling so i decided i'm done with this and I, I found a job working at a grocery store, not too far from where uh, Nicole and I live, and I worked there. I quit my job working as an EMT, which, by the way, to, to become an EMT, I had to take a class for that. I had to go through a four-month class. I had to take a um, practical exam and a written exam. I had to... And, and I even had to recertify myself. I had to, it's, I had to renew my certification at, on my own time. And, and, and I felt like when I originally became an EMT, I thought, yes, finally, I, this is my chance to be a, a healthcare professional, to be respected. All that went down the fucking toilet. They respected me for fuck offs because I'm just a disposable EMT and he was a paramedic. So I I know I know that was a lot, but it's not 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 all very little of my my troubles were directly related to my transness, but all of them were compounded by trying to deal with all of my trying to deal with all of my like issues about being trans and now I have one more thing I need to worry about like I just want a place to sleep where I'm safe <sighs> yeah but yeah but the thing with that was the the last one was the worst because this was an this was a a field where I had I'd actively pursued and I, I felt like this is someplace where I've, I do have skills 
and I've honed these skills. In fact, a week after I quit, one of the supervisors called me. It was, ironically, the day before my first day of work at the grocery store. He called me, and when I returned his call, he even said, like, you, like you're one of the best EMTs that we have, and you, you always come prepared, and you're organized, and we've got nothing but glowing remarks from our patients and their family. And, and this was the same person that wanted to make me a, um, a field training officer, someone who, uh, when they hire new people, goes out on the road with these new hires and kind of sh like shows them the, like, the finer points of the job. And I refused because the, the pay kind of sucked. But he, he, was, he was basically trying to get me, he was trying to get me to come back by telling me that after reevaluating the situation, they finally fired the jerk. And I told him, I'm not coming back because if, if you didn't do it the first two times, where I went to HR and the owner, if they didn't do it the first two times, I'm not, I don't trust them to protect me. I don't trust them to keep me safe. So, sorry, but you, you just lost what one of your best providers, and I'm not coming back. I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that my wife makes enough where she, her income is high enough where I can afford to tell them to fuck off. I can afford to tell them that I am not going to suffer their abuse, their neglect, their them completely ignoring my suffering, my anguish, which is real, and the abuse of this person who thought that my humanity was forfeit the moment he felt that I was ordering him around, that I was overstepping my bounds. So, but I, but I know this isn't, but this wouldn't have been a reality for me a few years ago before I met her. And I know this isn't a reality for a lot of trans people. So. So I'd like to ask both of you, let's start with Nicole. If there, is there something that you want the world to know or one thing that you'd like to say? If there's one thing I would like to say, I think it's that uh, nothing good, <clears throat> nothing good in terms of societal progress <clears throat> has ever come from waiting for it to happen. It has to be fought for. <clears throat> and every, every, every front on that battlefield, uh, has people sacrificing themselves, uh, sacrificing their, their time, their safety, their, uh, sometimes their livelihoods. Um, and we, you know, it's a, it's something that we need to, we need more, more people to, uh, to join in that, uh, because my, uh, the trans community is too small to win every engagement. <laughs> like we need allies and we're not the only ones, you know, every minority group that is being oppressed needs allies outside of it. And, uh, you know, for people who are privileged enough to not have, uh, not be in those groups and not have, not have, not face that history of oppression, 
they have the best positions in in order to advance progress uh and it's you know it 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 would be we would live in a very different world if uh if people who were comfortable accepted that they also need to sacrifice that comfort in order to make sure that the world continues to uh continues to get to become a better place uh and they better figure this out quickly because in a lot of ways it's becoming a worse place so it's kind of it, it's actually two things but they and two very different things but they do go hand in hand um the albeit new but continued allowance of trans people to serve in the u.s military and also casting trans people to play trans characters in movies tv shows and, and whatever media because with like, it, allow allowing Allowing trans people to serve in the military allows allows everyone to see the the valor and bravery that is inherent in trans people because we're people we 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 are brave and courageous along with being smart and funny and creative and the more the more uh, the more young trans people can see themselves as being heroic as being strong and brave the the more the more confidence young trans people will feel about themselves and the more and the more that trans people young trans kids can see themselves being portrayed on the silver screen silver screen on the silver screen and the big screen by other trans people and not as like the punchline of a joke not as the not as the the sex worker that's supposed to be thought of as gross um but as but as like the as the protagonist who's struggling and who is just trying to live their life like i mean recently in the movie like a fantastic woman a trans person playing a trans person the more we see our own stories being told the more we can see ourselves as he, as real life heroes the more trans people will be accepted by society at large and the and the more confident trans people other trans people will be in themselves when they're starting to transition themselves thank you so much both of you for offering your time and your voices so that everyone can listen and we can have this kind mm -hmm. thank you yes. it's very